right, everybody. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Today is Monday, April 6th, 2020. Uh, I'm your host, Detroit sports writer Nolan Bianchi, here today, as always, with my co-host, longtime Red Wings fan, Ethan Smith. Ethan, how's your weekend? Pretty good. Not much going on. Just laying low. You know, the usual. Do anything anything fun in the house? Um, Let's see here. Um, A band that I listened to did a live concert like just online so i just did i i watched that that was it was that was the highlight of my weekend i made peanut butter cookies how about that Ooh, peanut butter cookies you say manny i love no they're gone did you put the did you do the crisscross forks in the middle of course Okay. Uh, <laughs> so over the next two weeks, uh, as a part of the uh, an initiative across the Lockdown Network, we'll be looking back at the best Red Wings team in franchise history. Uh, so today it'll be the 2000, or this week, it'll be the 2001 to 2002 Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings, uh, a team with 10 future Hockey Hall of Famers, nine players in the NHL's top 100 list. Uh, they won the President's Trophy. We put an emphatic exclamation point on the end of the Rev- Red Wings avalanche rivalry with a 7-0 win in Game 7 of the Western Conference Final. Uh, and next week we'll be taking listeners through the 1951-1952 season. Uh, I think this recent March madness bracket that we've been doing has really exposed our lack of knowledge on, on Red Wings history. And it'll be interesting to, to go back and take a look at that. Uh, it was our second Stanley cup in three years and what it eventually be a stretch of four Stanley cups in six years, kind of the golden era of Red Wings hockey before uh, you know, the one that, that just took place. So we're really excited for that. But for now uh, we're honed in on one of the most exciting teams in recent history uh, but Ethan, you had something you wanted to get to before we started that today, just some news coming out over the weekend. Yeah. Just with the NBA's talking about canceling their season. I mean, just like it, how everything went down when, uh, Rudy Gobert was confirmed coronavirus positive. Um, it kind of just ruined sports for everybody else. And I'm, you would think that if the NBA cancels that everything else is just, that's it for the rest of the for year. Sure. For sure. And that's so a, that's a report that came out over the weekend that said the NBA was angling towards canceling the season due to coronavirus. Um, that would obviously mean I'm assuming a ensuing decision by the NHL to do the exact same as we kind of saw uh, on that Wednesday and Thursday, like we just talked about. Um, but with that said, there, there was an article that came out over the weekend by Helene St. James, the Detroit Free Press. And while the Red Wings were scheduled to finish their season this past Saturday uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the fact that we, quite frankly, have been operating under the assumption that the Red Wings won't play another game of hockey in the 2019-2020 uh, season, uh, Helene St. James kind of took it upon herself uh, saying, if there is no more Red Wings hockey to be played this year, what is the verdict on, uh, on a couple of these Red Wing players that are kind of, their futures are up in the air. Uh, and I think one name that really surprised everybody, um, maybe just not, not because of his production, because last year he was, uh, by all accounts, pretty bad, uh, except for the, his plus minus, which, you know, whatever. Uh, but he only had three assists over the entire season. Two of those came in the same game, and that is uh, Justin Abrocator, assistant captain yeah. for a long time, Michigan State boy, homegrown. Uh, she tends to believe, and once again, you can read this at freep.com, that uh, Justin Abrocator will be placed on waivers, demoted to the Grand Rapids Griffins, which would not only uh, 
you know, relieve the, the Red Wings of a $1 million cap hit, but it would also make room for a, a roster spot. Now, what were your initial thoughts when you read that? So I really, it didn't come off as too much of a shock to me. It makes complete, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. I think maybe where the shock value comes in is where you, you didn't really think that it was going to go down like that this year you know, on a team that's still kind of a younger, you know, we're trying to get younger. And we, we, we're bringing those players up, but him being an assistant captain and stuff. But, I mean, hey, if contract's bad, contract's bad. If he's not producing, he's not producing. So, I mean, what whether or not he's a homegrown talent like Ken Holland wanted to build this team, obviously, from the top down. I mean, there's only so much you can do. So, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I'm happy to see it, because, I mean, it's essentially his career's over. Yeah. But he's still, you know, he's going to be making his NHL pay still. But it's about a million dollars to come off our, our books, which is good for us. Mm-hmm. And it opens up a roster spot for a younger guy, too, who can score, get more than three assists in the season, hopefully. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, just think about what he'll bring to uh, the AHL lineup just on a daily basis in terms of mentorship and stuff like that. Keep in mind, he did win a cup here in 2008, had a couple big goals during that playoffs. Um, I think it's unfortunate for him, but I, I think there's probably a, a sense of relief that'll come with that move uh, for Justin Abdelkader being sent down. Just the spotlight was on him big, uh, you know, an assistant captain receiving a lot of criticism over the years. Like on top of the lack of production, he he took untimely penalties. There was a lot of things that got on Red Wings fans' nerves uh, about Justin Advocator. So maybe this will be good for him. A little swan song of his career. Who knows how, how long he'll stay down there? But I believe he's only in the fourth year, or will be heading into the fourth year of that seven-year contract with a no movement clause. Thanks, Ken. Go ahead. And uh, definitely too, like it's not saying that he's for sure going to be. That's at the end of his career, right? Like you don't know. You have no idea if we. I mean, we're already. $10 million under the salary cap. Mm-hmm. And with all of these other contracts coming off the books, like, you know, Erickson's daily Howard, like those guys, that's we're we're not going to need the salary cap relief. Like that $1 million doesn't mean anything to us. Right. It's just bringing in like a younger face, a new body that can, you know, hopefully produce more. But I mean, if, if we have injuries in the bottom six and we need somebody to step up and kill some penalties, and be that physical presence for us, like that could easily still be Justin. All right, now let's jump into this 2001-2002 Detroit Red Wings team. Uh, We've talked about them a lot in recent episodes. Uh, Just want to set the scene real quick. The Red Wings struggled their way through most of the 90s, finally captured their first Stanley Cup in 42 years with that 1997 Stanley Cup champion, and then repeated the year after, uh, win one for Vladdy, uh, as they said. And uh, most of that core stayed intact throughout the years that followed. Uh, but the Red Wings couldn't really recapture that success. They exited in the second round over the next two seasons and then got upset by the L.A. Kings in the first round in 2000-2001. Uh, Ken Holland obviously goes out, stacks the wings hand, acquires Brett Hall, Luke Robitaille, uh, and trades for Buffalo goaltender Dominic Hasek. Um you know, the Red Wings with Hall, I mentioned, you know, they had 10 Hall of Famers on that team. They also were the first team in NHL history to have three 500-goal scorers. Uh, when Brennan Shanahan would score his 500th later that year, it would become four. So just an incredible team uh, from top to bottom. But, Ethan, uh, you know, this team was kind of my first memory of sports. Uh, do you remember – or what do you remember, if anything, about watching this team live? 
what I remember is just, I mean, it's not even just this season. It was this kind of this era, I guess, but you could really say with how stacked of a team, it was just every time I would watch it, it'd be like, what, what cool thing am I going to see this game? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, we were worried. I was ever worried about like, Oh, we might not win this. You know, like this is a big, like it was just, all right, let's, let's see how we're going to get it done today. Like I really haven't seen anything, uh, anything like that in sports other than when this team was as good as they were. And uh, on Wednesday's show, we will have uh, Detroit legend Ken Cal coming on the uh, the podcast to do a Red Wings rewind about the playoff run from this season. But I think one of the things that sticks out most to me is that series against the Colorado Avalanche. I don't necessarily remember the the games leading up to the seven nothing thrashing in Game Seven, but I do vividly, vividly remember that Game Seven. I was camping somewhere on the west side of the state with my family. Somebody had like this big projector that they were just blasting on the side of their RV. Uh, and I remember being really nervous, little six-year-old Noli, uh, you know, the, the stakes were large. It was, it was pretty much my entire life. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, one goes in Thomas Holmstrom scores a minute 57 in the game. And then it's two, three, four. Uh, and then before you know it, the Red Wings are heading to the Stanley cup final, their, uh, fourth trip since 1995. So, uh, I think that to me, that, that series to me is, is really what sticks out the most. I think that's probably the most memorable portion of that Red Wing season. Yeah. I, I still go online. I still go onto YouTube. I'd say like one, once every like two months just to feel the joy of that game. Cause they have a solid condensed, like 13 or 14 minute version of that game too. Mm-hmm. All the, all the big plays, all the saves, all the goals. It's, you really can't touch it. It's so much. It's like a piece of art that could be hung up in the DIA. <laughs> that YouTube video. I think they had an exhibit a couple of years ago on that. They just put they uh, replaced the uh, Henry Ford. Uh, what's it called? Mural. You know all the ones of the guys working hard. It was just <laughs> whatever. Now, do you have a favorite player from this team? Um. Oh, that's a good or did question. you have a favorite player at the time? Because I think it's, you know, it's a lot of times when you look back, you can say, oh, well, Steve Eisenman obviously was a Red Wings captain for X amount of years, and you know, he's got to be one of your favorite players. But I, as a kid, kind of a lot of those biases are just thrown out the window and you're just drawn to certain guys. I think for me, one guy that I loved was Brett Hall. And, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily realize at the time that he had just gotten there uh, the year before, but – I just love the way that guy could shoot the puck. He was one of the most amazing goal scorers I've ever seen live. Um, and even even though I was so young, I, I remember being just fascinated by the way he could, uh, by how hard he could shoot the puck and the way that uh, Pavel Datsuk would tee him up. And that's something that I definitely kind of <clears throat> learned more as I was going back and, and watching those videos. But I think top to bottom, uh, Brad Hall was probably my favorite player from that team. So I've always been a big fan of, people that do their jobs quietly and efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I've also, I mean, I've always appreciated defenseman being a goalie. It's just Nicholas Lindstrom has always been a top two, right behind Chris Osgood. Well, three right behind Chris Osgood and Darren Helm is Nick Lindstrom for me. Like it, Darren Helm. <laughs> how many times like do you, do you just hear stories of how absolutely everything that Lindstrom did was perfect. The and perfect I, human. 
I, I never saw him mess up on the ice. He's just – that was another guy that when he was on the ice, I wouldn't watch the play. I would just watch what he's doing. Mm-hmm. There, there are a few players in the NHL that, I, that I'm drawn to in that aspect, mm-hmm. but he was, he was always one of those guys. And plus, I mean, you get to watch him for 25, 30 minutes a night, every night. So, Well, if you're interested uh, on YouTube, the NHL just – recently i think within the last two days posted a documentary about joe lewis arena i got the chance to watch it late last night uh it was a really good documentary but one thing that kind of uh shocked me is something i didn't realize because i I wasn't necessarily cognizant at the time uh was the fact that nick lidstrom didn't win his first norris trophy until he was 31 years old then he went won six in seven years uh and that season 02 was he just won his second which is absolutely crazy to think about i didn't know that I didn't know that at all. Yep. Wow. Second most points for a defenseman that year with nine goals and 50 assists. And uh, really, I think one of the more fascinating things about this team is the fact that they finished 51, 17, and 14, clinched the president's trophy by 15 points, like a mile. Uh, And then they don't really have anybody that's racking up points at all. Brendan Shanahan leads the team with 75 points, and that's only good enough for 14th in the league. Shanahan was my close second as my favorite on that team. He was just that two-way, can hit people, could fight people, could score. Yeah. Just a stud. I love Shanahan. Well, they uh, they didn't even have a 40-goal score, so he had 38. He led the team, like I just said. Uh, Fedorov had 31, and then Brett Hall and Steve Eisman uh, each had 30. And I think that really Jesus. that sums up kind of the that era of Red Wings hockey is it's like it's just loaded. It's not, it's not any one guy. Like when Steve Eisenman was scoring a, a ton of goals, like the Red Wings weren't winning. It was what, – what's fascinating is it's not like the whole – it was like how St. Louis was last year where they didn't have that stud player, but yeah. that team plays together perfectly. And that's exactly what those Red Wings were. Not to mention they have Tom Akashik in that. Yeah, like and that's, uh, that's – That stat hasn't come up. You know, none of his stats came up at all. But that that you have a Hall of Fame goaltender in that to match the four thirty goal scores you have on your team. Just looking at the roster of this team, it's it's just terrifying. Not to mention you've got Dotsuk on there. You know, and Curtis it's just, Joseph. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Curtis Joseph was a backup on that team, right? Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, they also didn't lead. Another interesting thing is that they didn't lead the league, like despite despite dominating all year, they didn't lead the league in goals for or goals against. They were second in goals for with 251, and then goals against, they were fourth with 187. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Manny Legacy, backup goaltender. Oh, that's right. That's right. Man, those are fun years. I know. I just recently watched a highlight reel of Manny Legacy just because – he was on a podcast I listened to, like a goaltending podcast. And he was just, he's a really fun guy. Really fun guy to listen to. He tells great stories and everything. Good, good guy. Another, he, went to St. he went to St. Louis, too, just like Osgood went. Very weird how that stuff happens. Really? I didn't realize uh, until I was doing research for this that Osgood was picked up by the Islanders in a waiver draft. Really? Yeah. I thought he got traded. But he was picked up by the Islanders in a waiver draft. And uh, prior to that season, uh, let's see. I, 
And then you tie it all together with the fact that, uh, you know, halfway through the year, Scotty Bowman tells his team, this is going to be my last season behind the bench. Uh, a guy with, I think, 13 Stanley Cups as a head coach in the NHL. Uh, playing a little bit more motivation, I guess you could say, down the stretch. And I think one of the, the coolest, most memorable things, and we'll talk about this, uh, I believe, on Wednesday's episode with Ken Cal, uh, is the fact that, you know, he knew it was going to be his last year. His team got it done for him. And then in the Stanley Cup celebration, he comes out and he's wearing uh, he's wearing the skates and he's, he's skating around on skates. I think that might be one of the first times that a coach has ever done that thrown on skates to, to go around with the cup. No, he just, he's just like, all right, that's it guys. That's it. Give me the cup. I, I don't, I don't think I've ever, I don't think we'll ever see a coach strap the skates on like that ever again either. No. And that was the first time he'd done that. Like it wasn't like it was a regular, right. Regular thing, but that was just great all around. I loved everything about that team. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to getting more into the details of that playoff run with Ken Kale on Wednesday's episode. So if you haven't done that already, be sure to subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Red Wings. Uh, we have been continuing the March Madness uh, listeners poll. We ran that over the weekend. Didn't get as much participation on it as we did the week before, but that's all right. Uh, follow us. Be ready to uh, to make your voice heard when that gets posted uh, this upcoming Friday. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you guys back here on Wednesday.